And when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, sitting beside the well, it was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, would ask me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? Jesus said to her, uh, By the way, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, <laughs> Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well's deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, and he drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. For the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never thirst again and not have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right that you have no husband. In saying, I have no husband. And the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, obviously, forgive me if I didn't direct you to the passage, but it's a very familiar passage out of John chapter 4. Those are the first uh, six, uh, 17 verses of John chapter 4. But I... I was hoping by just coming out and reciting it that we wouldn't just click into the natural thing. Well, I know this passage and go along and read ahead of me and start thinking about everything else, but hopefully to draw you in to the passage to get the dynamic of what is going on. It's a wonderful passage. It's a magnificent passage. It, it culminates when, when she says, I want this, and she, he says, I am referring to himself as being the Messiah. And, you know, that's our gospel. That's our magnificent gospel. That is what you and I have to, to give. Now, I, on my way up here, I shouldn't say my way up here, but in the last couple of months, kind of squirming and wiggling through things, like, what am I going to do? These guys have real preachers up there. <laughs> I, uh, I was thinking, you know, what am I, how am I going to do this? Well, I have nothing to give. And in truth, none of us really have anything to... Actually, we do have a lot to give, and it's not only not worth it, it's dangerous and leads people astray. It's darkness and sin and our fallen nature. But what we do have, we have Christ, our magnificent, 
God-man, perfect, lover of all, our Christ. And so, as we get to this passage, I'd like to just take apart a few things. We'll, we'll, we'll separate. It's not a real easy one to, to outline because it's, you know, this conversation. We'll take a look at the rest of the passage as well. But uh, we'll take a look at spirit-led obedience. Spirit-led obedience. We'll also take a look at spirit-led conversation. And then we'll take a look at special revelation, which is the part that I didn't read. So let me give you some background on this chapter. Obviously, it's in the book of John, and uh, the book of John does have its purpose. Now, Jesus, John says at the end of the book, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, why? You guys know it. That you may believe. That word is in the Gospel of John, 96 times, every time it's a verb, that you may believe that what? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. So Jesus, as far as John was concerned, had done many, many other signs. The book of John is built around seven of them and seven statements that He makes with the purpose that we would come to see this Christ the Messiah, the God-man, as the Savior of the world. And the whole book just works his way through it. The first 18 verses of the book of John are clear. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. There there is no question when you go through the book of John, Jesus is God. And it's magnificent as he proclaims it and as he says it. And you can see that he had a timing from God that was very specific. I mean, just by the fact that he left Judea to go through Samaria, something Jews just don't do. And he got there at the right time, the sixth hour towards the end of the day, to meet up with this woman from Samaria. It was the right time. It was the right time because Jesus was obedient to his father. We'll look at that in a few moments. But he just did what his dad told him. He did what his father said, do this, and he did that. And he didn't think about it, wait about it. He says, you know, let me check my calendar. He didn't pull out his iPad, say, no, you you know, how's my calendar look? He just did exactly what God called him to do when God told him to do it, and he did it. Perfect man. And that's what he did. And so we get into chapter 2, and we see, again, a couple of references of his timing when the, the, the wedding at Cana is there. They run out of wine. Mom says to Jesus, Mom says to the servants, whatever he tells you, do that. He says, my time has not yet come. But it was the first miracle, John says, that he did. And we know and understand that he was doing lots of things because in John chapter 3, we see Jesus speaking to someone very unlike the Samaritan woman. As a matter of fact, if you could put together a spectrum of personalities, the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus would be on opposite ends. So we get to John chapter 3 and Here comes Nicodemus, and he's there by night, and he says, we know you're from God. How else can you do these things? Now, the we that he's referring to is not the people because many were believing on him. Chapter 2 ends with Jesus did many other signs, and many people were believing on him. We know you're from God, referring to the Sanhedrin, the council, referring to the Jewish leaders. We know. Buddy, we got, we got your number. You are from God. And so Jesus, in that conversation with Nicodemus, and it's a good one to go and study and look because it's a totally different approach to sharing the gospel. He doesn't answer Nicodemus's question. He doesn't say, you're right, I am. And if you check back in the scriptures, and let's take a look together, and let's have a Bible study now, and let's take a look, because you're a teacher of the Jews, aren't you? Well, you should know this. He doesn't say that. He just gets right to part of the application of scripture. And he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, think about this. Nicodemus responds, <laughs> what do I do? I mean, think about it. He's the first guy that heard that, he, you know. Jimmy Carter wasn't the first guy that heard that, if you remember that. Nicodemus was, at least from the words of Christ. 
He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I just, I just sit there and think what Nicodemus must have, what have, must have gone through his head. Like, okay, I've seen this guy doing lots of things. We've been watching from a distance. He's obviously Messiah, but none of us want to admit to it. Excuse me, you mean I've got to go back into my mother's womb? <laughs> I just don't get it. No. And then Jesus explains to him and says in that passage, says later on, he says, Nicodemus, aren't you a teacher of the Jews? Referring to the fact that, Nicodemus, you have been going to church for a long time. You've been at Grace Valley since it's, been, since it's, in, Grace of the Valley since its inception. You know your Bible, Nicodemus. You should know this. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that, God, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. John in his gospel now is just presenting this Messiah as the only hope for man. The answer, God, man in the flesh, Messiah, answer for all things. And so we find then in Nicodemus chapter 3 that he's now speaking to Nicodemus and he's leading him to Christ. And so when we get to... Um, uh, towards that end, and we get into chapter 4, what we find now is Jesus is baptizing. He left his... Oh, by the way, at the end of chapter 2, he does something that just kind of disturbed everybody. He walks into the temple, and he sees what's going on in the temple. And zeal for his father's house led him to make a whip with courts and just... Can you just see him whipping away, overturning tables and chasing all the oxen out, changing the, changing the, 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 the animals out, the sellers that are out there? He says, you have made my house, my father's house, a den of thieves. And he just knocks them all over, throws them all out, and the leaders are there watching like, oh, now I don't know about you, but if somebody came into my church and started just knocking pulpits over, throwing chairs around, tossing people out and calling you a bunch of hypocrites, I would step in. I'd say, what's up? I'd stop. I'd get, guys, come on, let's, let's, let's corral this person. Didn't happen. So uh, what sign do you have to show us that you have the authority to do this? See, they had already been watching the signs. They had already been observing the people coming and crowding around. And they had already seen and heard that he had been baptized by John. They had already seen that they hated John's guts. Let's read Mark chapter 6. And so they've already known. And so they asked for a sign. Like, you know what? Show us your credentials. What's your bona fide here? And so he says, destroy this temple and in three days. I will raise it up. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. We've been building this thing for like 40 years. But we, the readers, understand what he was referring to. His very body. And so the very next chapter, we get into now this passage. And it starts off, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Now think about this. It didn't say that he was baptizing more disciples. He was making disciples. That's different from just baptizing people. These people were coming out and they were getting baptized by Jesus' disciples. And they were becoming like them. They were becoming followers of Christ. And the Pharisees had learned that more of them we're coming out to Christ. John chapter 2 was very clear. He must increase, I must decrease. It was proper. It was appropriate. And now Jesus, leaving Jerusalem, goes out, and now he is baptizing and making more disciples than John was, and Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard of it. So he says, you know what? Uh, he doesn't leave to avoid the conflict. We already have an understanding that Jesus didn't do anything except exactly what God told him to do when God told him to do it. It was not his time yet. It was not his time 
to go down to Jerusalem and offer himself up to be a sacrifice. So he left Jerusalem, and he's going back now again to Galilee. John says he's going back again to Galilee. So he's on his way to Galilee. Now Jews in those days, and you're probably all aware of this, uh, hated Samaritans for a particular reason. Back in 720 when the Assyrians took over and conquered the Israelites, and they carried them away, they left a remnant of some people who stayed in Jerusalem, who stayed, who stayed in this area, just north of Jerusalem. And when they stayed there, people from the surrounding areas just came and filled in this vacuum because it's a very fertile area. A lot of springs of water are there. It's, it's still the same way today. And these people mixed and married. And the, and the Israelites, the Jewish people that were left over, just went ahead and married. And so they, had a, they synchronized their, their thoughts and their religion and their things. And so the Samaritans were people who said, yes, Jacob is now our father. He gave us this well. We believe in him. And to this day, There are a group of Samaritans who say we are the real chosen people of God. And they live there. And they have a religion for the Samaritans. That's crazy. It's still there. And so in being there in Samaria, Jews hate these people. You could be a number of things in life that are really bad. You could be a woman. Worse than that, you could be a dog. However, there was something worse than those put together. You could be a Samaritan. They just had no dealings with Samaritans. So Jews, instead of just taking the direct walk on up to Galilee from Jerusalem, they would go around to the east on the Jordan or around to the west on the coastal side, but they would never go through that way because Jews just didn't mix. The verse says, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We'll get to that in a couple of moments. So Jesus is now going through Samaria. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now on the ways we're going through this, obviously we'll get through some applications through this, but I'll say a few things. Jesus, it says, he had to pass through Samaria. Why? Because that's what the Father called him to do. You'll notice towards the end of the passage, he says, when the disciples ask him, so uh, where'd you get your food to eat? He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's my food. His doing was the will of the Father. Now, I have a question for you. Does God have a will for us? Does he will for us anything as he said, you know, this is my son. I'll put him in motion, get him going. He'll do what I need to do. You guys can believe if you like. If not, you'll go to hell. That's not God. When God calls us and he elects us and he saves us, he sets us out on works that he prepared before the beginning of foundation. All of us know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith and, that not, and not of works. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. But verse 10 says, for whom he foreknew, no, I'm sorry, is that right? Verse 10, uh, he prepared works for us. I'm not going to go read it, but it says that for whom he foreknew. I'm thinking, I, I'm getting Romans 8, 29 mixed up with that. But, but God prepared works for us from beforehand. See, that's why I'm not the preacher that you guys have had. So he prepared works for Christ. And so Christ is walking in his works. Now, for us, has he prepared us? Has he prepared for us things? Yes, he has. He has prepared these things for us. Among the things that he has prepared for us is to proclaim him and to share him. And this whole passage is, I am he. Go out and tell somebody about it. So... He is doing the will of the Father there. We get on down and, and uh, to verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, I've already mentioned who this person is. She's a woman, and she's a Samaritan, and she's coming to draw water. Now, it's not bad science or not bad archaeology to, to think about where this well is in relation to the city. It's about maybe half a mile, three-quarters of a mile outside of the city, and... 
it's also not far from Enon where John may have been baptizing. And so what we know then is that a lot of the Samaritans may have already gone down to hear John. The seed might have already been planted. Evidently it was because, you know, these, she came and said, we found the Messiah. She knew about the Messiah. She was able to say, we know that the Messiah is coming. You say you worship in Jerusalem. We say we worship here, but we all know the Messiah is coming. So, so they had been prepared about it. So here's this woman, and she is now coming out of her city to this well, and it's not close by the city. And she's by herself, and she's carrying a water jug. Why would she do that? Well, later on in the passage, we find out why she's doing that. She's not just a Samaritan woman. She's, she's like bad news among the Samaritans. I mean, you take a Samaritan, and she is outcast from the Samaritans. And so here she is coming now to get water by herself outside of the city because the area does have a lot of springs in it. There's a lot of water in the area. And so she comes out, she comes out to draw water, and who initiates the conversation? Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Now, right there, she's like, <laughs> I can see how you're dressed. I can see your tassels. You're a rabbi. You're Jewish. Hello, I'm a Samaritan woman. What are you doing talking to me? And not only are you talking to me because you weren't supposed to even talk to them, much less pass through there. Not only is that going on, you're asking me for a drink of water, meaning you'd have to use my vessel. And when Jesus says, and when the passage, John says, that little parenthesis there, he says, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The word there for dealings gives the idea they don't share vessels. They don't share utensils. They don't share these. They don't even do that. What are you doing? You're a Jew and you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. You've got to be kidding. Jesus initiated the conversation way out of line for a Jew. But he knows where he's going because in the first section, those first six verses, what we find is spirit-led obedience, Christ being led by his Father to do exactly what he needed to do. Obviously, if we're going to be led by God, it must be by the Spirit of God that He leads us. Here we find Christ, and He is giving a, He has a Spirit-led conversation. Now, you know, people, you know, when we think about families and things like this, there are two passages in the New Testament that talk about family, specifically out of Colossians and out of uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, the context in Colossians for family and how to put your family together is a spirit is a is a word directed family. The context in Ephesians is a spirit directed family, and so when you and I are spirit led, it also must be word directed. We must give exactly what God says, not our ideas, but we must use Scripture. And here Jesus is sharing with her, and he says, "If you knew the gift of God, now what is this gift of God? It's Him, obviously." For God so loved the world that He gifted, He gave. He gave His Son to us. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Now, her reaction, you know, it's not like she knows exactly what He's talking about. Her reaction is probably completely selfish, thinking, you know, I come here, I'm by myself, Malchus from my own society. I got to come here and get this water every day. It's a chore. It's at least a mile of work going and coming. And he's telling me he has a spring of water somewhere. And then she starts thinking, you're right here at Jacob's well. It's deep. I mean, it's really deep. They've excavated that well and have taken a look at it. And if, they, if, it's, the, if it's Jacob's well... Some people say it has masonry all the way down to 175 feet. That's deep. Can you imagine the water at the bottom of a well that is 175 feet down? And she comes to get it. She's got to lug it all the way up. She's got to put it all the way down, got to lug it all the way up. And what kind of water is it? Now, obviously, it's probably a spring-fed well, but 
if it's filled up, I don't, I don't know what, I don't, I don't, you know, it might be stagnant water or not real tasty water. I have no idea. But now he's saying, I have a spring for you. She is interested. I like this. But you're, you're not going to fool me. Jacob gave us this well. He drank from it. This was a long time ago. His sons drank from it. That was a long time ago. His livestock drank from it. That was a long time ago. It's still feeding us today. Certainly you're not greater than Jacob, are you? And Jesus says to her, guiding her through everything he knows that she needs to hear, he says, you know what? You drink from this water, you're going to be thirsty again. That's a good message. It's a good message for us. The world does many things to feed their thirsts. We have pyramids testifying to the desire of being able to pass on to eternal life. Well, Today, we still look for ways to pacify our hurts, our desires, our needs. And there are many ways, and there are not only many ways that aren't religious, but even religiously, there are people who religiously perform their deeds, hoping for a relationship with God. Was it the preacher in Ecclesiastes who said that eternity is imprinted upon a man's soul? There isn't a man alive, a man who has ever lived, nor any man who ever will be, that won't know in his soul there is more beyond this life. We know. And it drives us. I mean, what thoroughbred horse thinks? Triple crown. They just don't. What animal considers more? We know that there's more. Everybody does. Some confess to it or not. We were driving here this morning and there's a whole bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses walking along Mendocino. I like the Jehovah's Witnesses walk. Have you ever noticed it? It's kind of like, as they go from house to house, it's not real fast. It's just, if you know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, they're wanting to get the ticket in. And part of that is how much time you put in. If I walk slower, now I've never heard this said anywhere, so I don't know and I can't tell you that's the truth, but I would think, you know what? It's just the nature of man. You know, if I work for the DMV, I don't care how long the line is. I get off at 5. And I don't care how long the line is outside. The doors open at 9 a.m. on Wednesdays, not 8. It's just, the way, it's just our nature. You know, and who's going to hear something when you hold out a magazine like this? It just doesn't work. But it moves inside of us something. Hopefully, this works. Every person wants that living water. We have it. We know it. And when the Spirit of God leads us, we must have a Spirit-led conversation which uses the Word of God that cuts to the quick of a heart. People don't come to Jesus by explaining the Bible. It is the Word of God that is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is the Word of God that judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is the Word of God, as Psalm 19 tells us, that converts the soul. See, when, when we know that God has called us, He will lead us. And if he leads us, he gives us his word, which is powerful. 
And so here is the living word communicating with the woman at the well, I am that water. He goes on and says to her, you know what? Not only will this water be like a like springing up, you know, we'll really reduce the depth you have to go for this water. But not only will it spring up, it'll spring up to eternal life. Oh, I want that. And so this passage is good for us in terms of understanding points of evangelism, speaking truth. And so she gets to this point and Jesus just brings her along and she says, I'm ready. And he says to her, go call your husband. Stink. Who is this guy? And so she has to think in her mind, okay, I will. Now, I don't know about you, but, I've, but in my ministry over the years, and working with a lot of people that, that come here from another country, I've met a lot of people who are not married. They are conveniently living together, and they have children, and they, you know, 20 years into doing this thing, you know, maybe we ought to get married. It's not uncommon. And so you ask them, and you kind of know they're living together. They've never been married. They've got 16 children, 1,200 grandchildren. And you say to them, you know, so how long have you been married? They will say to themselves, you, you see them. How do I answer pastor? We've been together 20 years. It's like, I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm not going to tell you that we're living in sin. I know it's sin. And so she, you know, she's got to think through this herself, this woman at the well. And so she says and confesses, I have no husband. Not only does she confess that she has no husband, she's had five husbands. And so here she is at a point in her life where the living word is bringing her to a point of confession. Nobody comes to Christ partially we come to christ entirely and he must know that i understand that i have offended the holiness of god god who is holy that i have sinned against him and that i am in the wrath of god i am standing in the path of the wrath of god because of my sin and because of my sin there is no escape from my sin and i can't say We've been together for like 20 years. And all those other guys, well, <laughs> I was young. You know, no excuses. I'm in sin. I have no husband. People need to come to Christ understanding that we are sinners. People come to Christ confessing sin to Christ. And so, as a pastor, someone comes to you, a couple comes up and says, um, my husband has been cheating on me. I just found this out. So, okay, tell me what happened. I'd say about 95 to 99% of the time, the husband or the person caught in adultery or whatever it is will confess and say things like, Oh, and just start crying and weeping. I did this and I did that. And you think, this dude, what a confession. But you know, it's the tip of the iceberg. It's the tip of the iceberg, typically. People don't say, well, you know, it's been a pattern of mine for like 20 years now. Um, you know, when I go out and I travel and I do this, they don't do that. People just don't come up with it. Jesus doesn't take a partial sinner. He takes all of you. And so Jesus asks the question, you're right. And the one you now have is not your husband. Think, who is this guy? And so she's, she's there. Now the conversation goes on and says, the woman said to him in verse 8.19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He, he was called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Wouldn't you want it to have been the Samaritan woman to hear it from him? I'm he. You know, we are. Our sin is filthy. It's putrid. Our sin today stinks. We don't get away from our sin. We don't because we're saved, have this coupon for sin. We bear the brunt. We pay the price. It's still sin. We know that the Messiah is coming. I know the Messiah is coming. I am He. (laughs) You know, I don't know about what you do when you share the gospel. But it is the love of God that we communicate equally passionately as the wrath of God because of His holiness. Now, I I don't know about you, and I don't know how people are just kind of, you know, cool and easy about the gospel, but this is the gospel truth. We have words of life. I don't know what you're going through in this life, and I know it's difficult. We all experience it. God's purpose in our lives with all of our pain and all of our difficulties and all of our trials certainly sharpens us and makes us more like Christ. Paul himself says, I'm more like Jesus because of it. Think about Paul and Silas. Chapter 14. I'm sorry. They're chapter 16. But think about Paul in chapter 14 of the book of Acts. Goes and he's preaching in the city of Lystra. They stone him to death. They drag him out. God revives him. Comes back a couple chapters later and a young man in the town who was there couple chapters earlier, Paul says to him, hey, how'd you like to join me? Timothy, yes, I'll go. I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm sure that was not something that was just like off in a little corner someplace. Timothy probably understood, this dude preaches something that causes a lot of trouble personally. And now he's inviting me to travel with him to be one of his disciples, and to be a pastor at some of the churches he's planning. You are nuts! No. Don't you realize what it is? Paul was presenting the glorious gospel. I knew nothing else except Christ and him crucified. I gave to you exactly what was given to me, how Christ, according to the scriptures, became a man, was born a man, died on the cross, rose again three days later. Praise God Almighty. Bring on life. I've got more eternal life, and I'm sharing it with you. I have no idea how strong and how difficult and how hard things are for you personally, but I know one thing. There's something bigger than that. There's somebody you know who does not know Christ, and they have a broken well. It is the gospel, eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. So here we have spirit-led obedience. 
we had a spirit-led conversation, and now we have a special revelation. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Praise the Lord for Jesus. Praise God that he came down, who in times past revealed himself to us through the prophets, through signs and wonders. But in these last days, has revealed himself to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what are we doing sitting here? Hopefully becoming more Christ-like, to be more Christ-like, to help others be more Christ-like. And so, the passage goes on, and just then, the disciples came back Verse 27, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town to, and said to the people, now think about this, guys, just a little quick note about leaving the water jar there. Some people wonder why, because, oh, she was filled. And she had, you know, I, I think this way. No, she's a very common sense woman. I kind of imagine that she noticed Jesus did not have something to drink water with, and already her conversion is seeking to serve Christ. Just a thought. Verse, um, then verse uh, 28. So the woman left her water jar, went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now think about this back at the beginning of the chapter. Back in, in what? Uh, verse uh, uh, 8. For disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now they're coming a long way, these Jewish guys. They're walking through Samaria. They stop at a town called Sychar. They're thirsty. They've been walking all day. It's late in the day. And they go into the town. A bunch of Jewish guys going into a Samaritan town. That's a big deal. They're growing, guys. They're learning. They're putting things aside. They're saying, okay, we can do this. We can do this. Go buy some food. Hey, hola, como esta? So, you know, they're there. They're doing this thing. And so, but look at what happens. They were, they went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Well, the goes on and he says, look, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. But look at verse um, 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Go back to verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, if you think about the timing, it was the sixth hour when this whole thing got started, and now this is happening. If it is Roman time, it's like 6 o'clock in the evening. It's not, they don't have a lot of time to get things happen. So this is all happening very quickly. So here's Jesus shares the gospel with the Samaritan woman. She goes into the town, tells them, this guy is the Messiah, I know it. And now they're coming out to see because I don't know if you know somebody like that Samaritan woman, but they saw a change. What's up with this? Let's go check this out. And so they are coming to him. And so the, so the disciples are having a discussion. Did you feed him? Did you feed him? Did you bring, you brought some, I know, you look like the type. You got the big diaper bag type thing. You got, you know, who fed him? Jesus said, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. You say there are yet four months. You know why? Because they were looking out there and they could say, yeah, it's not a harvest time yet. I, I know you guys. I mean, I'm, I'm a city boy, but you guys know the hour, the day when things are ready for harvest. It's science. Am, am I right? Yeah, I think so. Am I, am I right, David? Kind of right. Okay, so, I mean... So, so these people are out there, they're looking out and saying, mm, three months. He says, lift up your eyes. And as they do, who's coming? There's a different harvest. There's a harvest. And it is now. Today. All around us. It's here. You know, many Samaritans believed on Christ. 
It was there for a couple of days. They stood, they rejoiced, they were taught. Praise God for that. What are some of the applications that we can draw from this? One, imitate Christ. Imitate Christ. Now, when I say imitate Christ, you know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, imitate me because I imitate Christ. We know it. It's kind of like one of the reasons why I didn't just say open your Bibles to John chapter 4. We know it. We know it. But what does it mean by imitating Christ? In this passage, imitating Christ is a couple of things. One, you and I must have a spiritual connection. We must be spirit-led. It requires a number of things. Now, think about this. Jesus was fully man. And he did nothing. John chapter 15 says, nothing is done outside of God doing it for you. I do everything the Father tells me to do. I am obedient to the Father. He had a communion with his Father. He would rise up early. Jesus would rise up early to pray and seek the will of God. What do we do? Can you imagine if you and I committed our lives to be able to say, I will seek God. I will seek His face. I will pray over the Scriptures. I will pray looking at things in my life. I will review things. I will just seek God. I'll say, God, lead me, guide me. Now, I'm, I'm not Pentecostal, but I think because I am fundamental in my theology that I, like many of my brethren, have an ability to say, I can reason my way through the Scriptures and get an understanding of what I need to be doing without being really sensitive to the Spirit of God's prompting. As a young believer, I was sitting down for breakfast. Beautiful day, early morning. My wife on one side, daughter on this, Crystal on that side, you know her, and her daughter, her sister, Tina, on the high chair next to her. And um, we're ready to eat. My wife starts crying. I'm like thinking, okay, I'm clean. I'm good. It's too early to have offended my wife. So egregiously. So I immediately say, Lord, what's going on? Please help me here. And so uh, I didn't get a clearer understanding of what I had to say, so I um, said nothing. I decided not to start eating. Good thought. So she's still crying, and I and, uh, put my hand on my wife, and Crystal says, Daddy, why is Mama crying? I said, I don't know. I said, Baby, why don't you come sit on my lap? So she, my wife came to sit on my lap. Crystal says, Daddy, I don't like it when Mama cries. <laughs> and so um, I'm like looking at breakfast. I'm hungry. Saturday morning, bright and sunny. My wife's crying. She's on my lap. And now Crystal's crying. I was like, well, Crystal, why don't you come sit on my lap? Tina could not talk. I mean, put words together. She's sitting in her high chair. Ah! She just starts crying. Now, why do I say that? Well, because, you know, I was just a young husband, young father, not real careful and clued in to women, still am not, but I kind of figured, Lord, guide me. You know what? That particular moment was the perfectly right thing to do with my bride. It worked. Started off a whole long training of me on how to be a husband to a magnificent creature, creation, my bride. Now, I just say that to say, you know, we can be led by the Spirit of God. It requires that we worship in truth. That's part of the passage in there. Jeremiah tells us right when he opens up his book in chapter 2 that, you know, a couple of horrible things have happened. He says in, John, in Jeremiah 2, he says, Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no, there are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heaven, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain 
of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We trade. All kinds of things. And we can't worship if we are not at a point in our lives where we're holy. We need to confess our sins. We need to worship in truth. We need to say, Lord, here it is. So we want to uh, worship in truth. And when we worship, we need to ascribe to God what is right about God. Not my idea of God, but true worship says God is this. It requires that we know the Word of God. It requires that we study it. It requires that we learn from it. It requires that we come and hear it. It requires so many things about the Word of God. So I must, if I want to imitate Christ, be able to worship Him and I must worship Him and ascribe to Him what is due Him. I also must come with a spirit of humility. What's humility? Except ascribing to me a proper understanding of who I am. It is like me saying, okay, let me put myself together with God. Job, listening to his three friends, guys, I, I, I raised you. What's up with that? And then he hears from God, who darkens my counsel? And Job realizes, oh, I'm a man undone, a righteous man. We must come to God humbly, understanding who we are. I need God. I need to worship Him. So I want to imitate Christ. I want to be able to be able to share the gospel and learn how to share the gospel and learn how to, at different situations, know exactly what to say and say, Lord, how do I speak to this person? I need to be able to observe things and take in data and be able to use that and be able to share the gospel properly. Read the signs. Collect it. Build on it. Trust God to help you and share truth. Share the Word of God. Imitate Christ. What must, must we do? We must proclaim Christ. Consider what happened with the disciples, guys. They went into the city, Jews in the city of Sychar. And as I mentioned earlier, the people of Sychar had probably heard John's preaching. There was seed that was sown. And obviously they come and they get saved. Now here are these disciples of Christ in the city of Sychar among ripe fruit and they come out back to Christ without it. Proclaim Christ. That's not a dig on the disciples, guys. Nor on us. But I must be ready to know who around me is not a believer. And so we want to be able to proclaim Christ. We want to make sure that we lift up our eyes. Thank you for giving me this time today. I appreciate being able to come on up. My wife and I are in prayer for you. We know um, things can be hard. I uh, was pastoring a church for like 20 some odd years. and I think for about 10 of those years, there was a group of people in that church that they were just so contentious. Just a contentious mob of people. And um, I asked a, a pastor friend of mine, good pastor, I said, hey, Alex, what, what do I do about this? He says, Tom, always hold one thing higher than all the problems. And there's only one thing higher and greater, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as you walk through the time ahead, as you work through things, Proclaim Him. Know Him. Worship Him. Amen.